Okay, we're going to read one verse here in, in John 12. And uh, our theme, uh, for those of you that are guests, our theme this year is into his harvest. We're praying that the Lord would send forth laborers into his harvest uh, because uh, this news is too good to keep to ourselves. I'm talking about the gospel. And, and so when you think about uh, the resurrection, uh, there's a tie uh, into uh, harvest terminology. You know, uh, we, we'll see that here in John 12. We'll see it also in a very, uh, you know, dominant way in 1 Corinthians. So I like to look at, you know, these, these special seasons of the year, if possible, through the lens of our theme. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel obligated to do that, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's like a jewel. You look at it, it's several sides to it. And so we can see a unique side to that. So let's look now at John 12, verse 24. John 12, verse 24. Jesus says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, and he's speaking to some Gentiles that want to know who he was, and to his disciples he speaks and says, Except a corn of wheat, so a kernel, there's um, harvest terminology, except uh, a corn or a kernel or a seed, except a corn of wheat, fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, notice this, if the kernel die, if the corn die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You see that that's a harvest. It brings forth much fruit. Okay, now let's take our Bibles and go to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And of course, if you're familiar with this passage, you know it's it's the, in many ways, a premier passage on the resurrection in Paul's epistles. And he's making the case that if Christ be not risen, then our faith is totally in vain. It's empty. It's, it's, it's really, we're wasting our time even being here tonight. If, if Christ be not risen, but since Christ is risen, we're actually doing the best thing we could do in life. And, and that, be serving, that would be serving him. But there was some confusion about the resurrection that Paul is dealing with here. And, and some of the world's mentality was creeping into the church. And there were people in the Corinthian church saying, how can there be a resurrection? Well, they got that from the city of Corinth and Greek culture and ideas that scoffed at the idea of resurrection. And the church is always in trouble when we begin to filter our thinking through the world's filter, okay? We, we need to filter the world's thinking through the Bible's filter. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? So it, it was all messed up, all right? Verse 12, look at it just real quick here. Um, he says, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some, notice this, among you, you see it? How say some among you, that there is no resurrection of the dead. And then he, he goes on. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zero us in on verse 20 and read a few verses, kind of jump around. It's a long chapter, so I'm not going to read all of it while you're standing. Look at verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become, notice this, here's more harvest terminology, and become the first fruits, first fruits, that indicates there's more to come, right? The first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. 
For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ, again, the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. And then what he does is, well, let me just read it. Verse 24. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. All right, you know what you're reading right there? A fulfillment of Daniel chapter two. The kingdoms of this world uh, will become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy, verse 26, that shall be destroyed is, praise God, death. All right? The king of terror, as Job referred to, death. All right? Okay, what else shall we read here? Well, there's plenty. <laughs> Mercy sakes. All right, look at verse 33. We'll cover the rest of these verses in the course of preaching. He says this, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Don't let the world affect your thinking. Awake to righteousness. In light of the resurrection, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Notice verse 34. Five and 36. But some men will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Do you see what they're saying? How, how is this even supposed to happen? You ever wonder something like that? It's okay to wonder that. But the problem was not that they were asking questions, but they were questioning. There's a difference. Right. Well, look how Paul responds to this in verse number 36. Thou fool. I wonder how I felt about that. <laughs> Pretty clear, isn't it? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it what? Die. Do you see a connection between John 12, 24 and right here? It's not going to be quickened except it die. All right. Uh, notice verse 37. We still doing all right? And, and that which thou sowest, he says, look, look you're, already, you're already experiencing this, he's saying. This is already happening. That which thou sowest, when you sow a seed, thou sowest not the body, what? Thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. You see what he's saying? You don't plant the whole stalk, you plant the seed. And it's transformed and becomes a stalk of corn, we would say, right? Uh, so I don't know exactly how all this is going to happen, but Paul is saying it's going to happen. In fact, it's got to happen. All right, why? Well, all right, let's see, verse 50. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. You've got to be changed. 
Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Now, what an exciting chapter that will wear us out here tonight, no doubt. All right. May God bless the reading of His Word as you're seated. We're going to look at this, the harvest of His resurrection, part two. Part one this morning we covered sown in death raised in life, sown in death, raised in life. Tonight, Christ the first fruits. We're just going to think about that. Christ the first fruits gives us a home in heaven, assures us the home in heaven. <clears throat> uh, this morning during uh, the song, He Lives, uh, written by a pastor named Alfred H. Ackley, I took a moment, I looked the, the story up behind those hymns. It just kind of helps. Like we sang just a moment ago, um, Because He Lives. 50 years ago, 1971, I don't know if you noticed down at the bottom, 1971, uh, that song was written at a time when our country was in, was in quite a crisis in the 19, late 60s, 1968, you know, especially 1969, 70, 71, you know, Vietnam and and the civil rights and, and the confusion and all that was going on at our time. And some wondered, why in the world would you want to bring a baby into the world? And thus, Bill Gaither wrote verse 2, how sweet to hold a newborn baby. You know, and to know, to know that this child can face uncertain days because he lives. Well, that's still true, just as true 50 years later, because he lives. Well, Alfred Ackley wrote the song, He Lives, and I'm not going to uh, review the, uh, the story behind it. It's a fascinating story, though. You could, you could certainly look it up and find it out. But, but I, I noticed uh, one of the place where I got the story this particular time actually had a picture of the headstone or the, uh, the tombstone of Alfred H. Ackley. And uh, it's very simple, just, you know, just one of those. It's just there in the ground. And, and, um, and, and it said this, a beloved husband, Alfred H. Ackley, 1887 to 1960. And then it had, if I'm not mistaken, the measure section, the section of the measure in the, in the hymn uh, with the musical notes. And then the two words, he lives. He lives. So isn't that something? Right there on a tombstone, it says, he lives. <laughs> now, I wonder if somebody came along and they saw that and they saw, he lives. No, he's right here. He's dead. But they didn't understand. Well, we're saying Jesus lives. Therefore, if Alfred Ackley's faith was in Jesus, even though he's in the grave, he lives. Now, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't like to think about 
you know, death. I, I, I don't think that we're supposed to go around all the time thinking about it, but it helps us to face the reality that if Jesus does, Terry is coming, every one of us will die. Will indeed. Um, a few years ago, I read a book entitled, uh, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. It's a great title. John Ortberg uh, wrote that. And he gave several examples as to how we try to evade, get away from the idea of death. But years ago, uh, people faced it. It was a reality. And so the, the, even the, the bedtime prayer. We're familiar with the first part of it, but you may not be very familiar with the second part. The first part of it, you probably know probably very well. It says, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Not a great scriptural song or prayer, but nonetheless, we know it. It's part of our <laughs> childhood probably. But do you know the second verse? Here it is. Our days begin with trouble here. Our life is but a span and cruel death is always near. So frail a thing is man. Good night, honey. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's reality though, isn't it? But now it's good night moon and everything else. He went on to talk about how that we try to get away from the idea of death by dressing up the reality of death. And thus we have life insurance, not death insurance. We have life cereal, not death cereal. So death cereal would be for people who want to wake up real slow. <laughs> we don't have graveyards. Uh, we have cemeteries or memorial parks. Gardens. It's not undertakers, it's funeral directors. Brother Brian Friend uh, is here somewhere tonight and, and uh, serves as a youth pastor, but also as a mortician. <laughs> That's great. <clears throat> Where are you at, Brother Brian? Pretty, okay, there we go. Great. Some good stories right here, I got to tell you. So, Did you know that the developers of Central Park in New York uh, developed Central Park after the design, as I understand, of Mount Auburn in Boston, which is a graveyard, but Central Park's not a graveyard. And so the idea is this, why not have it all, have it all without the graves? It's kind of how man wants to live, isn't it? Uh, the comedian, I don't know much about him, but he said this, uh, name's Woody Allen. He said, it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. I like what Booker T. Washington said. He said, I'm just going to live till I can't live anymore. That's a pretty good way to do it, isn't it? I'm just going to live until I can't live anymore. I'm not going to fear it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to live until I can't live anymore. You, you no doubt have heard some humorous, uh, you know, epitaphs on tombstones. One that says, I told you I was sick. One uh, tombstone in Tombstone, Arizona at Boot Hill Cemetery says this, here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more. <laughs> I like this one from uh, Cripple Creek, Colorado. Here lies a man named Zeke, second fastest draw in Cripple Creek. <laughs> I guarantee you don't want to be the second fastest draw, friend. Nope. 
One individual wrote on a tombstone, Paul's stranger when you pass me by, for as you were, so once was I, and as I am now, you, so will you be, then prepare for death and follow me. To which somebody wrote below, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. It's <laughs> pretty good. So Paul is, uh, he's dealing with death. And I mean, a, a big part of the chapter does. And, and, and here we are, you know, celebrating, and rightly so, the Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, you know, and life from the dead. Well, you, you can't really appreciate the resurrection unless we understand just what an enemy death is. And we, one that we, we do our best to avoid, to, to put out of our minds, uh, and, and God, by the way, God made us to live. You know, he made us to live. And, and, and so uh, all that, that that is, and so Paul is here dealing with this, and, and he's saying that, listen, we've got hope even in our death because he deals with in 2 Corinthians, and certainly we could bear it out in other passages, even from 1 Corinthians, that to be absent from this body is immediately, there's no such thing as soul sleep. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's just this in the Bible. For the believer, you leave this body and you are immediately in the presence of the Lord and your body is planted in the ground as though a seed. That's what this text is bearing out. Planted as though a seed, Jesus' body. Hey, you may, you may wonder, I wonder where Jesus was when he, after he died and his body was in the grave for three days, three nights. I wonder where Jesus was. He was exactly where he said he was going to be, in the presence of the Father. He did not go to hell and burn in the flames of hell like charismatic theology teaches. No, he said to the thief, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And so our Savior's body was in the, in the tomb. But listen, on, the, on that third day from that garden tomb, talk about harvest terminology from the garden tomb came forth life. Buried in death, raised forth in life. And the same thing will happen to you and I, to me, as, as a believer that someday they'll have your funeral, bury you in the ground. But if you know Jesus, your spirit and soul will be with him, but even your body will be resurrected. You say, well, what if it's like thousands of years and I'm dust? Or what if I get burned? Or what if I get buried at sea? What, hey, listen, I don't know how all it's going to take place. Here's what I do know. It will just like God said it would. And, and so what was happening here is they were allowing the ideologies and thoughts of the world, the Greek culture and the world, to come and seep into the church. And it had some mixed up into saying, there can't be a resurrection from the dead. Oh, but friend, but if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is still in the grave and thus our faith is in vain. Well, since Jesus is alive, Paul is dealing with life in that perspective. So if we'll look at death and we'll look at the resurrection, hang on, if we'll get the, the biblical perspective on the resurrection, it will help us know how to live today and face eternity. All right. If we'll get the Bible's perspective on the resurrection, then it will help you, it will help me, it help us all to know how to live today and not be afraid of death. Eternity. See, see, since Jesus is alive, 
we have hope regarding the future. That's verses 24 through 28. We don't have time tonight to cover everything that's in these 58 verses of this unit. In fact, it was about three years ago, uh, or four now, actually four, that we covered this in five sermons. So we're consolidating a lot of that into two. So there's a lot more material here than what we're going to be able to cover. But, but here's what he's saying in verses 24 through 28 as he talks about the coming kingdom, which by the way, what Paul says here makes it clear that Jesus', Jesus kingdom, that the kingdom is not a spiritual kingdom, but a literal kingdom. Because he will set up his kingdom upon the earth and he shall reign. Okay, And so that's what he is talking about here, putting down or making ineffective other kingdoms of the world and setting up his kingdom and, and establishing his kingdom and casting down the last enemy, which is death. And so that's verses 24 through 28. And then in verses 29, really through verse number 34, you see this, that since Jesus is alive, we not only have victory ahead of us, and he'll come back to that thought in a few moments, but he also says this, listen, this will help you know how to live today. All right, look at verse number 29, perhaps one of the most difficult verses in the Bible to understand or to explain, because Paul says this, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? How many of you say, I wish he'd explain that one a little bit more? No doubt about it. All right, I am not prepared tonight to, <laughs> to explain to you all of what Paul is saying there, but I can explain to you what he is not saying. Is that fair? He's not saying, as the Mormons say, that you are vicariously baptized for people that are dead. Right. Right. Ryan Wrench did a very, uh, a very good job on a research paper and, and, and covered this. If you need more help there, I've got some good ammunition. And he goes into what possible. In fact, as I studied this back out again, there's about 200 possible interpretations of this one passage. And we only have time for one. But basically, uh, this, here's three reasons why the Mormon's idea about this being baptized for somebody that's already dead has three major problems, and no doubt more, but three major problems. One would be this. Every individual is responsible for themselves before the Lord. Right. Number two, no one can be saved after they're dead. Right. Number three, nobody's saved by baptism anyways. Right. So there we go. Took care of that one. All right, so given verse 30 and 31, though, I think we get a little bit of a line on part of what Paul is saying there. Notice, notice verse 31. I protest by your rejoicing, uh, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice this, he says, I, what? Die daily. Now, in this context, he's not saying I die daily to the flesh, but here's the idea. I'm prepared every single day to give my life for Jesus. I'm willing to die if I'm called upon to die, to give my life as a martyr, to give my life, I'm, I'm willing to do that. Where do you get that? Look at verse 32. If after the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. Evidently he did that. And we don't have record of it in, in Acts or even in Ephesians, but we know there was some time that Paul thought for sure he's going to die. I would imagine there's several times Paul thought he might die. 
I mean, all you got to do is just read all that he went through to see that he suffered greatly. But notice this, what advantage is it me, the latter part of verse 32, you still with me? Is this, following, is this making sense to you? Watch this. If the dead rise not, let us eat, drink, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, he's saying this, why in the world would I be willing to suffer even to the point of death if Jesus is still in the grave? All right, listen to this. Any service rendered for the Lord is meaningless if Jesus is not alive. Why observe the Lord suffer if he's not alive? Why, why sing praise if he's not alive? Do you know how many, okay, it pro, we wouldn't have a song left in our songbook. Did you hear me? We would not have a song left. Okay, you know why? Because we wouldn't have a song. We wouldn't have a reason to sing if he were still dead. Okay, we wouldn't have a reason to worship if he were still dead. We wouldn't have a reason to run buses today and see the numbers start climbing back up. I mean, you could have slept in this morning. There's be no point in you getting up and, and going in the summertime when it's so hot or in the cold, in the wintertime when it's so cold. It'd be pointless for you if he's dead. It'd be pointless to run buses. It'd be pointless to teach Sunday school classes and, and to make visits. It'd be pointless to take young people to camp. It'd be pointless to have a youth conference and have a thousand people come in here. It'd be pointless to have a Bible college if he's dead. If he's dead, you don't need to do your assignments tomorrow. <laughs> if he's dead, forget the paper. If he's dead, don't go to class. If he's dead, don't worry about it. But since he's alive, you better go home tonight and get some assignments done. Are you following me here? Since he's alive, this all makes sense. This is why we would have a Bible college here. This is why we try to equip and, and, and train because he is alive, friend. It'd be pointless. I saw pictures of the Smutzler's children in, in uh, Mongolia as Brother Cameron sent some text pictures. It'd be ludicrous for a family to leave from here to go live there. If he's dead. But since he is alive, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Lee Strobel, who was an atheist, uh, he wrote the book, you know, A Case for Christ. But, but before uh, that, he was an atheist. In fact, here's what he did. If you haven't read the book, it'd be good for you to read because it goes into the proof, the evidence of the resurrection. And he said that he basically did this as a journalist, but he, he was specifically a, a, a criminal journalist in the sense of analyzing cases and, and what happened in, in this particular case. And so here's what he said. I'm just going to enter into the case of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the case of Christ with an open mind and let the evidence lead me wherever it's going to lead me. That's what he did. But what he was intending to do was to use the evidence to disprove the resurrection because if he could disprove the resurrection, the whole Christianity falls apart. That's really what he intended to do. But as he studied, the evidence... I'm talking about the evidence led him to one conclusion and that conclusion is what we celebrate today. He is in fact alive and he was seen. Eyewitnesses accounts 
early eyewitnesses, many eyewitnesses. I mean, all these individuals, 500 people at one time that saw him alive and, and skeptics that saw him alive and, and people that hated him, seeing him alive. Hey, friend, listen. And, and even all the details of it. I mean, there's so many things that are built into that resurrection story that just demonstrate that he is indeed alive. Anyways, here's what Lee Strobel said. In short, I did not become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist. God never promised any such thing. Indeed, listen to this, following him would inevitably bring demotions in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his deity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. That's awesome. Nate Saint. Nate Saint gave his life trying to reach the, the Alka Indians, the Iodani Indians, the, the, the people of, of Ecuador, that region, and gave his, his life along with four other men, Jim Elliott and Roger Udarian, et cetera. And here's what he said. People who, he wrote this, people who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. Then he said this, they forget that they too are expending their lives and when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years that they have wasted. But you know, if Jesus is not alive, let us eat, let us drink, let us be merry. Epicurean thinking. That's what Paul was alluding to. The Epicureans were the pleasure seekers of the day. Why, why not? And we covered this a little bit this morning. Why, why not then, if he's dead, why not just live any way you want to? Young people. Others would say you're missing out. All of us. And so, you know what? You're wasting your time. You are missing out. And hang on, wait, wait just a minute, because that mentality, that worldly mentality can kind of seep into our thinking. And you can get in your mind, you can think, man, sure would be nice if I didn't have to go to church all the time. Sure would be nice if I could. And you fill in the blank. No, don't, don't tell me you don't think that way sometimes. Sure it would be nice if we didn't have to have all these standards and rules. And hey, by the way, we can make the Christian life about that, which is not a list of rules and regulations. It's about a relationship that comes with those. But it'd be real easy to say, you know, it sure would be, it sure would be a lot nice if we could just live any way we wanted to. I mean, just eat and drink and be merry, just like the rest of the world. Yeah, just like the rest of the world. Have you really stopped and listened to the rest of the world a while? They're not as happy as they make it look. Did, did you hear me? It'd really help you a whole lot if everybody here got that. It's not as, and there's some people here that could stand up and if I open the floor right now, they could testify, you know, I thought it was, I sure thought it was gonna be fulfilling when I, 
finally got this or when I finally did that or finally got into this way of life. I, I thought it was going to be this way when I finally got away from my narrow-minded parents and that narrow-minded church. I thought it was going to be that way. You'll find that the wages of sin has not changed. And Paul says, well, if he's not alive, then eat, drink, and be merry. But since he is alive, you better wake up. And you better wake to righteousness and sin not. And here's why. Because evil communications corrupt good manners. You get around some people that don't have, have the resurrected Christ in the very center of their life, then, then it doesn't matter how long you've been in church and how healthy your spiritual life is. Listen, if you take a, a plant that is healthy, but you take that plant and you spray weed killer on it, you're not going to see the effects of that immediately. But you give it a day or two and you'll begin to see because it doesn't kill it from the outside in. It kills it from the inside out. And the wrong companions, the wrong friends, corrupt, good, godly manners, habits, ways of life. Corrupt, good manners. And, and, and what, the reason I'm, I'm parking here for just a moment is because... Um, you need to stay in church. Young families, you need to stay in church. You need to keep your kids in church. Grandparents, hey, listen, you need to stay in church. Don't, don't get to thinking, well, man, I've been in church for so long. Well, don't look at it like it's a death sentence or you're doing time. No, I mean, hey, get back to the reality that we serve a risen Savior. And, and it's not a dead faith. It's a living faith because he's a living Savior. And you just need to be faithful to him. And, and don't, don't just get through another service. But, but this, realize he's alive and I'm living today for the most important reason upon the face of the earth to know him and to make him known. I'm telling you, friend, that is not a boring life. And, and I love what uh, a couple young ladies that got an invitation to this wild party. I mean, these guys wanted them to come and they recently had trusted Christ as their Savior. And so they got this invitation and they wrote back this letter with the RSVP that said this, sorry, we're not going to be able to attend the party seeing that we died. <laughs> Why? Because we are dead and our life is hid with Christ and God. You ought to be dead to this world. I just, I just can't wrap my brain around how all this is going to happen. I mean, how is it that he's going to establish his kingdom and how this is going to happen? The book of Revelations, have you read the book of Revelations? How is that going to happen? Hey, look, I don't have to understand it all to know that it's going to happen. I don't have to be able to explain it all. I don't have to be able to explain how that the, the, the molecules and all that is going to take place at the resurrection. I, I don't have to be able to explain it. That's what was going on in Corinth. They were saying this, because we cannot understand it and because we cannot explain it, we're rejecting it. Well, you realize how much that we would reject if we had to go only with what we could explain or understand? For me personally, there goes electricity and a lot of other things. 
But Paul says this, listen, you, you're already seeing this principle, even though you, you, don't, you don't even realize it. And he says, thou fool. It's foolish. Hang on. It's foolish for believers that profess faith in Jesus Christ. It's foolish for believers to adapt the thinking of the world to become a part of their mentality when they serve a risen Savior that is in the world today. It's foolish. It's foolish. He says this, you take that seed and you plant that seed in the ground and then it becomes a plant. You don't plant the, the plant. My role in Kentucky in our, in our uh, garden was watermelons. All right, here's what I did not do. I did not take a watermelon, <laughs> dig a big hole and plant that whole watermelon and cover it up. No, you, you pull a hill together and, you know, about maybe like that tall and we'd plant about three watermelon seeds and then we'd move some out as they, as they took and, 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 and spread it out. So when I came to, to uh, Baptist Bible College, I left before harvest time. And, but there was, uh, you know, I mean, it's quite a process. It's really interesting just how the vines grow and, and, and then, you know, to see, you know, the thumping and when it's right. Well, they didn't get right before I left. And so I was working in the calf at the time. And, and, and uh, so my mom and dad came and they brought, I believe it was two watermelons and they sold, you know, a good number of the rest of them. And, and, but they brought two and, and I asked for permission to put them in the calf in the, in the fridge there just to be able to use them later. And the ladies that worked in the calf didn't realize that they were my personal watermelons and I didn't put my name on them. I should have done that. And they served them to the students of, Heart, of Baptist Bible College and everybody enjoyed some Kentucky watermelon. <laughs> it's awesome. But I didn't plant that watermelon. I planted the seed. And I can't begin to explain to you, now somebody here is into horticulture and could, probably could, explain how that seed germinated and how that it interacted with the soil and the water and then began to grow and the sun and, and could maybe get closer scientifically to explaining how that happened. But I'm here to tell you, here's what I know. It tasted real good. <laughs> Paul says, there's a great transformation that takes place when you plant a seed, when it goes from that grain, that seed into whatever that wheat, that plant or, or that barley or whatever it was that was growing. And, and you don't know how that happens. And yet I guarantee you every day you eat some cereal. Right. That's what he's saying. So he's saying to them, why are you hung up on not understanding how that you can go from this body, this this body of corruption, this corruptible body, this mortal body, don't you understand that God has built us in the very nature of our existence that when that seed is planted, it comes up differently. In fact, could we say it this way? It comes up better than the way that it went in. And, and I say to you tonight, I don't know how to explain it all, but here's what I know, that even when we leave this body, it's a lot better. And then our body is planted in the, in the ground, just like Jesus' body was. And then when he was resurrected, hang on, wait a minute. Someday we're actually going to see him because he still has a body. And we'll be able to see him because of that. And the disciples were able to see him. He passed through walls. He said, I'd like to do that. 
Well, he passed through, well, there was, but it still was a real body. Touch my hands, touch my side. He ate with it. It was a resurrected body, and now it's a glorious resurrected body. And I don't know how to explain all that. I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but I do know this, that even when we are planted in the ground, this body, this shell is planted in the ground, what comes up is going to be better. At the last trump, when, when the trumpet sounds, the trumpet was used, used in the Old Testament to gather God's people together. They would blow the trumpet and the people would gather. Well, listen, friend, someday, based on the word of God, you say, I don't know how that's going to happen either. Stop worrying about it. Don't worry about how it's going to happen. Just know that it's going to happen and the trumpet's going to blow and there's going to be a shout and we that are dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain. Maybe we could go in on that and this body immediately changes. doesn't even go through the corrupting, decaying phase, but nonetheless it's changed like unto his glorious body. I can't explain all that, but I know it's so. Amen. And that's why Paul says, oh, death, Where's thy sting? Oh, grave, where's thy victory? All of our problems are on this side. He's taking the stinger out of it. You don't have to fear a bee if it doesn't have a stinger. You say, I don't like them anyways. I'm with you there. Get one flying around in the car. Not good. I was at a camp somewhere. I can't remember where it was, but... Oh, it was a Spanish camp. We were down somewhere. We're at Altus. We were down in Altus, and one of those one of those little boys had caught a scorpion and pulled the stinger out of it. I don't know how, and then let it just crawling all over. <laughs> but he wasn't really concerned about it. You know why? Didn't have the stinger. Jesus took the stinger. He took the sting of sin and death. We don't have to fear death. Therefore, my dearly beloved, be steadfast. I believe what he has in mind there is, is doctrinally. Be steadfast. Don't, don't, don't be swayed by the ideas of this world that would corrupt you and cause you to be different than you ought to be for God. Live your life for him. Don't live your life for you. Be steadfast. Don't be swayed by false doctrine or false ideas. Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what he's saying right there? Keep knocking doors. Keep talking to people about the Lord. Keep passing out tracts. Keep saying no to this flesh. Stop looking like the world that's around you. They need you to be a God. Wake up to righteousness. In fact, I didn't cover this part of the verse. He said, because some have not the gospel and I speak this to your shame. Abound in the work of the Lord for your work is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Parents, 
trying to raise your, your children for the Lord, it's not in vain since he's alive. It's not in vain. Teachers, keep teaching. Keep teaching. Keep studying. Keep studying. I remember Miss Marie Tatum, she started studying. I got to do a little uh, article on her through the uh, Southwest Voice one time and, and uh, went to visit her and she had a whole room of her house devoted to flannel graph. Remember flannel graph? Someday I want to preach with a flannel graph. <laughs> she would draw them and had them. And she started studying on Sunday afternoon. She taught four-year-olds, if I'm not mistaken. She started studying on Sunday afternoon to get ready for the next Sunday. Why? Because it's not in vain. Some of you probably had Miss Marie Tatum and her red hair. You maybe had her as your Sunday school teacher. And she's in heaven now. But listen, friend, it's not in vain. Those of you that sing specials and work hard at it, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. You're trying to have a testimony at your workplace or at your school. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. The, the years, young people, that you're living, and, and you are, you are so different. I'm talking to our teenagers. You're, you're, if you are on the inside, what I think you are on the outside. If you're that way and you're really trying to live for God, you are so weird. Isn't that true? I, I mean, lovingly. You're strange. You're different. Am I right? You're different that you're trying to be modest and, and you're not listening to the music that the world is listening to. And, and that applies not just to young people. They're just here. I'm, I'm just thinking, hey, listen, it's not in vain. You may say, but yeah, but preacher, man, I'm missing out on, on what they do in, in public high school and, and, and the fun that they get to have. Oh, yeah, I went to school with a bunch of them. I'm telling you, you don't want that fruit. It's not in vain. You're missing out, but you're missing out on some things you don't want. Yeah, but if our family doesn't watch that movie that's so popular and everybody's talking about it, then we're going to be like outsiders. Hey, it's not in vain. If it has things in there that's not good for your spiritual thinking, it's not in vain. It's not empty that, that you would say, you know, we're just going to try to honor God right here. And really, I mean, let, let, here's basically what I've tried to say all day long, basically this. Let the reality of the resurrection have an impact on your life. The reality. The reality. Now, if he's not alive, then I've wasted your time again tonight but I haven't wasted your time. Because he died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and rose again according to the scriptures, as was seen according to the scriptures. And he's coming again according to the scriptures. Your faith is not in vain. Let's stand together here this evening. Appreciate your kind attention. A biblical perspective on the resurrection gives us the understanding that we need to live today, to make the decisions that we need to do and make today. It also enables us to be ready to face the future without fear. We're living in a world that's, that is truly in fear. 
in many ways. And I, I don't think we are to be um, reckless. But I don't think God wants us to live in fear. Whether it's a virus. It's not the first time something like this has happened in world history. We don't have to be afraid knowing Jesus. He's alive. And He told us to assemble. He told us. And we assemble. Praise His holy name. I'm glad we can. But this ought to impact your life, not just today, but tomorrow. And every day. Make decisions in light of the fact that He's alive. Father, uh, thank You for this passage. I've so enjoyed just meditating on it, thinking about the implications of the resurrection. It's truths. It certainly is the bedrock. It is the centerpiece of the gospel that gives us reason for everything that we do now. Lord, I thank you for that, dear God. And I pray that you'd help each of us to take personal inventory where the world's thinking has seeped in and it needs to be combated with biblical truth. And we wanna begin with the very core doctrine of your word and that being your resurrection. And so Father, I thank you, Lord, that even to the point of suffering, it's worth it. Those missionaries that suffered, uh, Think of that and, and others, Lord, it's worth it because you're a living Savior. They did not waste their life, dear God. I pray that you'd help us now tonight to come before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Page 258, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Brother Aaron's going to lead us, and I trust that you'll respond tonight to what God has showed you in ways that you need to get your eyes back on the living Savior. Brother Aaron, if you'll lead us.